Welcome to Elisha's Space, where we explore the complexities of human relationships and the journey towards secure attachment. Today's episode, Breaking the Chains, Understanding Insecure Attachment Styles, features a special guest, Raina Brown. Raina is an experienced and compassionate counselor dedicated to helping individuals and couples navigate the challenges of insecure attachment and build healthier, more fulfilling connections. In today's episode, Raina will share her insights and expertise on insecure attachment styles, their impact on relationships, and the steps we can take to break free from these patterns and build a foundation of secure attachment. So sit back, relax, and join us on this journey towards healthier, more fulfilling connections. Hello, audience. It's so good for you to join us. I don't take these things lightly. When you take out the time to listen to these shows, these episodes, you know, my hope is that they give you encouragement. My hope is that it gives you peace and joy, that it gives you some direction, a resource. And so I don't take it lightly that you come and you join us today. You are so appreciated. You are so welcome here. And I hope you find this to be a safe place. Today on Elisha Space, we have Rana Brown. She is a licensed therapist and counselor within the state of Maryland and also a registered nurse. She works with clientele who have some depression and anxiety within their relationship issues. And we are just so thankful that you're here with us today, Rana. Thank you so much for joining us. This is such an important topic that we're going to be talking about when it comes to insecure attachment. I got to tell you, just about everybody I'm working with in my caseload, we are working through some form of insecure attachment within relationships. So this is such a needed topic, I think, to have in discussion so people can have clarity. Don't you agree? Yes, I do. Absolutely. You know, a lot of us that are in therapy and seek therapy have something to do with relationships and they have to do with insecure attachment. So it's a pleasure for me to be here today and just talk with you about this. Could you share with the audience the concept of insecure attachment and how it develops in early childhood? Yeah, yeah. So attachment overall was developed, just a short, quick and dirty way to explain it. Attachment was developed by a doctor, Dr. John Bowlby. And this happened after 1950s, where it was after Dr. Spock was telling all the moms that they need to let their babies cry it out. And Bowlby studied, he studied infants and children in orphanages and realized that a lot of them regressed and some even died when they didn't have that secure attachment in their parents. Like they didn't have the primary caregiver responsive to their needs. So they were just there kind of left to their own devices to kind of soothe themselves and work their way through their lives. And so after he studied this, he found that, you know, letting children just cry it out and just be emotionally alone and isolated really wasn't a good thing. And then we found Mary Ainsworth, who continued with that study, and she studied and saw that kids not only regressed, 
but that they would have these kind of strategies that they would use to get their primary caregiver's attention. Like sometimes they would turn the volume up and start screaming and crying to try to get someone to respond to them, to soothe them, to address their needs. And so Mary Ainsworth is the one who came up with the different attachment styles. And there's one that is secure, where the primary caregiver responds consistently to that child's emotional, not just physical, but emotional needs. And that child grows up being secure. They love who they are. They know who they are. They're able to respond to others and take love in. That is the secure attachment. Mary Ainsworth also found out that there's insecure attachments. Now, these are different type of coping mechanisms and strategies that people use to try to get their needs met, to try to get loved. And there are about three or four different ones. Again, things are always changing. We call them insecure attachment because those are ways that people are trying to get their attachment, trying to get their emotional needs met, but they don't quite get them met. They kind of get stuck in this loop. They get stuck in these relationships and it shows up in their relationships. Thank you. How would you, when I think about the sucking of the thumb Mm -hmm. or even the sucking of the fingers, that's like a self-soothing for a lot of children. Mm -hmm. I also remember, I recall when my children were younger, you were actually encouraged to let them cry it Mm -hmm. out. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, there is. That's what it was. And this kind of came against that, but a lot of it still trickled through. The thing is that though, in everything, there's balance that's needed. You do want children and people to be able to soothe themselves. Some of that is needed, but the way we're created by God, the way we're created is to be relational people. Right. And we have others that we feel have our backs other people that will respond to us, especially when we are in distress. And that reach helps life to be manageable and doable. It doesn't make the problems go away. It makes them manageable. And life can be really, really hard. So when you have that child who's growing up and say they have their parents that consistently, and that's another word I'm going to be using a lot, is consistently. Sometimes the parents will let the children just cry it out or whatever the case is. But if that's what's happening consistently, that they're having to learn to soothe themselves, they start to, their view of themselves is that no one else will meet my emotional needs. Not Mm -hmm. physical. Again, we're not talking about physical needs. We're talking about emotional needs. And so a lot of those children start to develop the mentality that the world will not meet my needs. I have to take care of myself. The second thing that also happens a lot of times is that they almost lose the ability to respond to others' emotional needs. So say they have a spouse or another child that is crying, they're more likely to say, you know, go sit in the corner and and you're not supposed to cry and things like that. That causes, again, people to kind of shut down emotionally, which makes it hard for them to engage. The science is very clear that in emotional, in intimate relationships, That is needed. We need to be able to plug in emotionally to ourselves to be able to connect emotionally to others. It's any relationship that is healthy and thriving, not just being, but healthy and thriving needs that emotional connection. But if the person has lost their, I don't want to say their ability because they can gain it back, but if they lost that sense to be able to connect emotionally, you can see how that can kind of cause problems in relationships and cause vicious cycles in relationships. 
Could you describe the different types of insecure attachments and how they manifest within adult relationships? Yes, yes. This is one of my favorite things, but I'm going to let you do it. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, there are different ones. And again, things are always changing. So some of the names can change. You can look different places, different names. Some symptoms may change. But overall, Mary Ainsworth found that there are three primary insecure attachments. There's one that's called dismissive or avoidant. That is the one where they grew up maybe or they had experiences in their childhood that, again, they were just left to cry it out. Maybe they were on the playground and they fell, bumped their knee and their parents were like, okay, here's a Band-Aid, but then go back out and play. They never really responded to their emotional needs. That person can develop, and that's a tendency, right? They can develop an insecure attachment called avoidant attachment or avoidant attachment style. And that's where, again, they feel like, I don't really care about others' emotional needs. They kind of dismiss even the sense of an emotional connection. They dismiss closeness They figure, I meet my own needs, you meet your own needs. That's how this world works. But that's not necessarily how it works. And that can cause problems in relationships. And I found, if I can jump in, Uh I found it's very difficult for avoidance to connect with other people. It is. Because as people, we like, touch is important. Hugging Mm -hmm. is important. They're more, they'll push They're distant, but they're craving that connection at the same time. Absolutely. Everyone's born. We are all born. We are all programmed for connection. It's what we need for survival. They even found it in infants and children. The avoiding person though, because they've learned that that's how they learn to navigate. That's their coping strategies is to kind of keep emotionally distant, but inside they're still craving that they're still wanting that connection. They just don't know how to get it and how to receive it in a sense. And that can cause problems in a relationship. There is also what they call, some people call it ambivalent. Some people call it anxious attachment. So you'll find different names for it. That's another style of insecure attachment. Now, this one usually develops when the child has had inconsistency in their primary caregiver's emotional responsiveness. So for example, this would be the child that will use, they fell on the playground and bump their knee or scrape their knee or something happens. Sometimes the primary caregiver would say, oh, that really hurt. Oh, I understand. Come over here. Let me give you a hug. Let me make you feel better. And here's a Band-Aid. So they attend to the physical need and the emotional need. But then sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's like, oh, you you fell on the playground, you cried, and they're like, get back up there. Or maybe you're a boy, you're not supposed to cry. You know, just get back out there. So because they have that inconsistency in having their emotional needs met, their view of self and their view of how they see the world, because a lot of this shapes the template on how they see themselves and see the world, is that love is uncertain. I'm not sure if I'm going to get it. I'm not sure if I'm going to get my emotional needs met. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So when they get into intimate relationships, what it tends to look like is that they're clingy. They tend to pursue because they crave that intimacy. And once they get it, they're trying to hold on to it really tight because they think, okay, this may go away at any minute. So this may be the person that you spend hours upon hours, you spend a whole weekend with them, 
then you go away and then the partner starts complaining, wait a minute, you just left. I don't, I, are you going to leave me or what's going on? Maybe we need to spend more time together. They're always kind of clinging and pursuing for that emotional connection because they're not feeling that it's very stable, that it's going to last. So they tend to what we call is anxious attachment style, the way it looks, because again, it's the behaviors that show is that they can be kind of clingy. They can be kind of clingy. I would even say too that I'm not saying this is always the case. I'm just making a general statement. But mm-hmm. a lot of times the parent that always wants to know what's going on with their child. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't remember that phrase at the top of my head. But like that, helicopter? Is it yeah, helicopter? helicopter parent. That's uh-huh. also something that could be tied to anxious attachment, uh, insecure anxious attachment, because you're always concerned that something is going to happen. And a lot of times the underscore of that audience I found is that Mm -hmm. there's some sort of trauma, you know, that has occurred. But go ahead. Yeah, Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. It could be some form because a lot of times there is trauma but the person may or may not understand it as trauma right. or even see it or categorize it as trauma. But here it is showing up. And a lot of times, what does trauma cause? One of the main things that trauma causes is fear. Yep. Is fear, is anxiety, is that sense that something bad is going to happen. I'm going to lose something. Something catastrophic is going to happen. And so I have to put in these measures, these strategies to try to minimize that and calm my nervous system down. That's what it is. So it looks like you're anxious. It looks like you're a helicopter parent. It looks like you just can't be without a man or without a woman. What it is, is that you're very fearful inside because you really, you've had an experience where you felt some sort of loss or potential loss or something catastrophic that needs to be processed and made space for. So yeah. What are some self-soothing things someone who has insecure, anxious attachment might that look like? Ah, yeah. So there's a lot out there on ways that they can soothe themselves. First thing is always with anything when you're trying to change or soothe or whatever the case is, is awareness. There's no, there's nothing that can happen if you don't have awareness. So the first thing is to recognize, not to say, oh, I'm anxiously attached, so woe is me, because the truth is that the attachment styles, they're pliable, they're plastic, they can be changed. What needs to happen is that you need to have an awareness of it first, that this is your strategies that you use to cope, right? This, these are the strategies that you use and ways that you can soothe are maybe to first notice what's happening. That's the awareness piece. Name your emotions. I'm feeling afraid that I may lose this love. I'm feeling afraid that I may lose my child in this or whatever the case is, identifying that, feeling that inside, inside your body. So really allowing yourself to sit with that emotion and then asking, is this something that's a potential Is it real? Like really challenging those thoughts because your feelings aren't always facts, right? But they are there as cues to tell you that something needs to be addressed. So you want to be curious about that and then put in your coping strategies. So maybe sometimes like um, grounding if you're trying to cope and soothe yourself or after you've done that, I would suggest, because again, we're all relational people is finding that safe and secure other to be able to share that with. Because again, science is clear that when we have other people with us as we're distraught or in distress, 
it helps to make things manageable. So as you're trying to self-soothe this kind of, of a, a band-aid until you can get to the place where you can share it with your friend or your mother or your partner or whoever it is to be able to help you carry that load, make sense of things. And from that, that's a better strategy than you just trying to self-soothe yourself so that you can be better and then you can just come out there. There's that, but then there's the other piece, which is the relational piece as well. And what is the third insecure attachment? The third insecure attachment. Now this one, again, things are changing, so they don't necessarily use this as much, but there's a disorganized style of attachment. And I say style because they're not diagnoses. They're not sentences on your life. They're just styles, ways of coping, ways of behaving when we are in distress. So the disorganized style of attachment is one where the primary caregiver would instill fear, an unhealthy fear in that child. So for example, this we see a lot, um, Elisha, when maybe children or, or now adults who have experienced some form of neglect or abuse or sexual abuse or sexual trauma from their primary caregiver. So this person that is supposed to be protecting me and responding to me is the person that is also instilling this large amount of fear in me. So it's very confusing to the brain. So that child ends up being, or looking, right? Because again, these are all styles. They end up looking very erratic, very tumultuous in relationships because they haven't had a lot of that fear process because it was very, very confusing for them to have that. So that's more of a disorganized style of attachment. And they tend to look very turbulent and be in very turbulent relationships over and over and over again until they seek, usually they need help. They need someone to walk with them to be able to help them through that process. Because the truth is, Elisha, with all of these insecure styles of attachment, again, they're they're plastic, they're pliable. So there are ways that we can get back, not just to self-soothing, but to actual becoming more secure and leaning towards secure. A lot of times though, that takes someone else, maybe a therapist or a friend, helping you to get there. Help because you've had years, decades. Some people have decades of operating in insecure attachment style. So they need help to be able to get to that secure place, but it is doable and it is worth it. It definitely is worth it. I would mm-hmm. say that I was extremely humbled a few months ago because I've been really working on my own personal, I call it a healing journey, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's hard to be in this type of field and realize, okay, I need to be doing my own work too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So I thought I was pretty good. I was pretty proud of the fact that I was doing pretty good. And then I'm seeing someone and a comment was made. I was like, all of these things started coming back up. Mm-hmm. And I had all this anxiety and things like this. And I knew what it was, like the self-awareness. I knew what it was mm-hmm. and it was so difficult. So one thing that I did, so if you listen to my past episodes, audience, you'll know that my Christian faith is very important to me. And it has helped me through many, <laughs> really, it's helped me through a lot. I would not be the person I am today if it weren't for my faith. I'm just throwing it out there. (laughs) And one of the things that I had to do, and it it was a process, Mm -hmm. is I realized that 
the anxiety I was feeling Mm -hmm. had to do with a few incidents that occurred within my childhood. Mm -hmm. And I had to take the anxiety that I was feeling around the current relationship that I'm in Mm -hmm. and surrender it to Christ because I knew Uh that this was not that, you know what I'm saying? And it was humbling for me because I had thought I had dealt with all that, Mm -hmm. but then this happened and I realized, okay, there's still some healing that needs to take place there because I'm putting onto this person. Actually, I wasn't putting it onto him. He had no like, well, he knew a little bit, but he didn't know as he didn't know how bad it was because I was reining it in. But I had to really do some prayer and mm. say, Lord, I give this over to you. I don't know what to do with this. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I, I want to call him all the time. I want to be with him all the time. I want to A, B, and mm-hmm. C. I'm you know, and clingy is not me. Mm. But you mm. get where I'm coming from? Clingy is yeah. not me, but because that happened, it triggered something within me. And then I realized, okay, this isn't right. You know what I'm right. saying? So right. don't discount prayer mm-hmm. because now that I went through that and I spent a lot of time in prayer and, and surrender and things like that, did some forgiveness for some, you know, chose to mm-hmm. forgive some things, had conversations with people from my past so that I could mm-hmm. get to a better, stronger place today. Mm-hmm. But don't discount the power of prayer and just going to the Lord about these kinds of things because I had to really do that work uh-huh. spiritually, even to be able to be more functioning within my relationship with him, because I'd recognize and realize that that was not healthy, you know? Right. And it was so wild to me. It just, I was fine. And then he made that statement and then it just triggered all of that. That's what it does. Yeah, that's what it does. I'm glad that you're saying that because again, our creator, the master, he he is... Awesome isn't even just, it's it's not the word, the way he creates us. What you just said, you said there was something that, you know, you thought was okay. Everything was fine. You got triggered and the trigger caused you to have an emotion. Right. The whole purpose is it's in line with what I'm saying. The purpose of emotions is not for us to be led by them. That right. is not because sometimes we can, the pendulum can swing all the way to the left where it's like we suppress emotions or sometimes we're just led by them. No emotions are signals. They're telling you that something needs to be addressed. And that's what happened with you. You had this trigger. It brought up all this emotion. You realized, wait a minute, there's still some places that I'm not healed here. You brought it to the creator. You brought it to the one who is able to heal you. You you brought it to the one who has all wisdom and is able to show you this still needs, this still needs surrendering to me. But Mm -hmm. the blessing about it is that once you surrender it to him, it doesn't mean that it's going to be like a magic, you know, a snap. And then all of a sudden you're done. You still had to do the work. But had you not been curious about those triggers and that emotion, had you not surrendered it to him? Because that's the reason he wants us all to walk in healing and wholeness doesn't mean that we're, it's always going to be perfect. We live in a fallen world, but he doesn't want us to constantly walk in defeat and unforgiveness right. and just wounds spilling all over the place. And we're ministering to other people, but we're not getting ministered to, you know, that's not, that's not him. 
that's not him. So that's exactly what he did for you. And like you said, the power of prayer, the power of surrendering, the power of um, just scriptures. I have, um, and we can talk about this a little bit later, but I have a group that I do where we do it like attachment and dating. So it helps people to be able to use, first of all, understand their attachment styles. And then once they understand it, how they can use that information to pick better partners, to have healthier relationships so that they can be better. And one of the segments in the groups, um, Elisha, is that we do attachment in scripture because all of these things, yes, Mm -hmm. they tie back to the creator. A lot of times we want to keep God here and then we want to do all this healing. He's involved in all of it. So it is about surrendering and prayer and reading the scriptures and meditating on them that helps us to be able to know the next steps and what we need to do to really be healed. And it's a process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm So audience, don't be surprised if maybe your partner or your child or Mm -hmm. parent might say something, or it can just be anybody. Don't be surprised by that because a lot of times I personally don't believe any, nothing happens by accident. So if something comes up, that's something that probably needs to be addressed. Maybe, And a lot of times, like the healing journey is like unpeeling. I use this a Mm. lot. It's common within the therapy world to say it's like unpeeling an onion, right? Yep. Because because the pain of the heart or the pain of the soul, sometimes it's so deep. If we were really to feel all of it, I believe we would have some severe physical pain. You know, it mm-hmm. would it, it would affect us so much. So yeah. out of his grace, I believe he just unpeels it like it's an onion for us. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was an unpeeling of an onion because I realized or another layer of the onion so that I could realize and see, okay, mm-hmm. I still have some things that I have to address here. Yeah, I still have yeah. some things that I have addressed here. How would you yeah. say communication affects insecure attachment? Ooh, that's a big one. So communication and attachment they almost go hand in hand, Elisha. I do couples work as well. I see some couples. And a lot of times when in my first session, I ask them always, any therapist would, you know, what are you seeking therapy for? Like, what do you, what are your goals in therapy? And number one response is better communication, better communication, better communication. It ties into attachment. What happens is that when we're insecure and we have insecure attachments, remember what I said before, We tend to try to get our needs met with behaviors that work against us because that's what we've learned we've had to do. So for example, the person who maybe has an avoidant attachment style and doesn't want to engage with their spouse or their partner emotionally, and that's causing problems. So the partner says, you know, I feel like you don't, you're just not emotional or or I'm going through this and you just give me a straight face. Like they're trying to connect with you on an emotional level and the person just can't connect. You can see how that can cause a conflict as far as communication, because one person feels like I'm trying to I'm trying to connect with you on this level and I can't. Right. Because you just can't go with me this deep. You won't talk to me about these deeper issues or these deeper things. The other person feels like, what is the problem here? Because, again, they're avoidant. They don't feel like they need that emotional connection, even though they do even though that's why they get into relationships because everyone wants that companionship, right? But 
it's not registering to them. I need this emotional connection. So what will they do? They'll try to distance themselves even more. The more they distance themselves, the more the other partners coming at them until eventually one person says, you know what? That's it. I want a divorce. Or they're just constantly stuck in this repetitive cycle. So it does affect communication. On the flip side, the anxious person or the person that's usually pursuing for connection, for intimacy, emotional intimacy, they're not coming very soft and say, well, what I really need is that emotional connection. No, they're not coming that way. They're, they're, it almost sounds like they're attacking their partners all in ways to try to jolt them to respond. It's just like that baby that turns the volume up and they just start screaming their heads off to try to get their mother's uh, um, attention. That's what they do in relationships. But you can imagine the more one person feels attacked, that's not going to cause the couple to come further together. And if anything, that's going to escalate in conflict. And a lot of times when they come to couples therapy, I explain to them, yes, what you're looking for is improvement in communication. What I'm going to try to help the two of you do is to find safety within your relationships. Because when you can find that safety, when you can communicate on that level, then it helps to bring the conflict down. And sure enough, nine times out of 10, once you're able to help them to securely attach and begin to tune into one another, they have to tune into themselves first to be able to tune into one another. It brings that conflict down. They're able to send clear messages to each other. They're able to take in each other's words. It's a much, much different conversation, much different conversation when they're secure. I found that those who, those who view themselves as having insecure attachment insecure mm-hmm. anxiety attachment and then mm-hmm. insecure avoidant attachment are like yes. magnets they tend to draw yes one another. <laughs> <laughs> that is what happens and that's what i see in my couples and you see it all around you see it in family you see it in everyone it's the anxious and the avoidant, they love to get together, but it's actually a beautiful thing, right? It doesn't show up beautifully because you have one person that's pursuing and one person that's trying to get away for safety. That's the whole purpose. <laughs> <They're trying> to- <laughs> right? That's what it is. They're not trying to push their partners away, just like the mm-hmm. person who's pursuing is not trying to push their partners away. Everyone's just coping the best way they know how to get mm-hmm. their needs met. It's causing them to do that. But it's actually a beautiful thing when you can see the anxious style of attachment and the avoidance style of attachment. Those two people actually work together to be able to meet each other's needs. It's a beautiful thing and they balance each other. It works. When when they are aware of the cycle and they're able to change their coping styles to be able to send clear messages. And the message is, I need you. The message is, I'm afraid. The message is, please be with me in this so that it makes life more manageable. That's what people need. So it's actually a beautiful thing when it's done right. The problem is a lot of the times, the ways that the anxious copes and the ways that the avoidant person or style of attachment, the ways that they cope, usually send the message to the partners that they're not there for each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what causes such conflict. Yeah, it brings in miscommunication. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some strategies or some therapeutic approaches you've used in your practice to help people mm-hmm. who are trying to overcome these challenges? Yeah. So we I use primarily EFT, emotionally focused therapy. 
I would say anything that's attachment based would really, really help them. Not knocking CBT or any type of um, other modality because they're all very, very helpful. And we all see problems sometimes through different perspectives, but we're all looking at the problem to try to help the problem the best way. Emotionally focused therapy really helps to get down to that attachment need because that is what it's not just poor communication or poor skills there is that but what we're looking at is the root and emotionally focused therapy or EFT really helps the couple to get to the root of the problem which are those attachment needs and those attachment longings that they're looking to be filled they just don't know how to go about it the right way to send that message so that they can have an increased chance of getting their needs met so we really, when we use EFT, it really helps the couple to try to get to the root of the problem rather than just giving them skills and just I statements and things. When we're triggered, those skills go out the window because we're human and there's something that's deeper, that's longing, that we're longing for to be met. So we look at the root of the problem and then bring in skills and different things to be able to help them. But after we're, help, we're able to help the couple get to that safe haven, that secure bond, that safe base, that's the foundation. And EFT really works to, to help them create and build that solid foundation where they can build upon in years to come. What are some things partners can do? Because I mentioned the insecure anxiety and the insecure avoidant. What are some things they can do to support their partner? So if you find yourself in that, and maybe you're more on the secure and, and maybe your partner is insecure or vice versa, here are a couple of things that you can do. The first thing I always tell my couples is that they need to understand it's not a lack of love. Because you can think if they go through this cycle over and over, miscommunication, escalation, people shutting down, people coming with darts, people, you know... People start to believe, you know, I must have made a mistake here. I should not have married this person. This person doesn't love me. They don't care about me. If they did, they wouldn't shut down or they wouldn't attack me the way that they do. It is not about a lack of love. It is about the way that the partner has learned to cope with their emotional distress. That's, That's right. what it is, right? And if we can see it through that lens, it doesn't mean that it's going to make everything better but really understanding what's at play here. It's not that my partner doesn't love me. It's that they are trying to cope themselves. This is how they learn to cope. And the way that they learn to cope then sends me the message that they're pushing me away, but they are really not trying to push me away. They are suffering. They are suffering. So having that lens is the first step. The second thing I would say is to begin to learn to self-soothe. Again, self-soothing is not a bad thing. It is actually a good thing, but it's not the only thing. It's just a step in the process. Learn to self-soothe, to tolerate maybe in the meantime feelings of abandonment or feelings of fear, really relying on your support group or your therapist or family members or your church members to really help you through that process. Because again, when we have other people in our corner, it makes life manageable until your partner can get to the place where they're operating from a more secure lifestyle or secure attachment style in a sense. 
couldn't even say two because it's very easy to become that person becomes your all in all in their in your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be doing, I hate to say it like this, but I'm gonna say it, you know, do you handle yeah. your day-to-day activities, do what you need to do, follow your passions, focus on yes. your health, you know what I mean? Those kinds of things, because first of all, no person, it's a dangerous thing if somebody becomes your focus. You're everything. Yes, you're you're everything. That person, y'all, that person is going to let you, that person is going to hurt you and they're going to let you down because they're new. Yeah, they they weren't created for all that. They were not. No one is created for that. So Praise God, I am not wasn't created for all that. That's a lot. Unrealistic. It's too. It's too. It's too heavy. Of a. It's too. It's too much. Yeah. Right. No one is supposed to be your all in all. So yes, absolutely. Doing you, taking care of yourself, doing the things that you love, your passion, joy. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then even in that, because sometimes if you have maybe someone who's on who tends to be more on the anxious side, again they may appear or it may appear that they're attacking their partner. And their partner has to set boundaries. Absolutely. Listen, I know that you, uh, you know, you feel this way, but you can't talk to me this way. That's Being right. assertive, even in that, maybe we do need to do some couples therapy or you do some individual. I will support you in that. I'm here for you, but I cannot accept that. I can't tolerate that. No one can tolerate that. And if they can, it's only for a short period of time. We weren't meant to just take, 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 take. It will never work for any relationship, no matter what the root cause of it is. So being able to set boundaries and be assertive would be a part of that as well. Absolutely. You can tell we're both counselors, y'all, because we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what yeah. advice do you have for parents who want to foster secure attachment in their children to mm-hmm. set a foundation that they can have healthy relationships? Yes, yes, that's a big one, especially with me having a nine-year-old and really wanting to make sure that he's healthy. You know, I'm I'm that parent as well where I'm fearful and it's like, oh my goodness, I want to make sure I'm doing the best. Parents, you know, we still have a little bit of that cry it out uh, mentality. You'll hear it, especially from our older. They were like, what? Put, put that baby down and let him cry it out and things. I, I got a lot of that advice. Again, sometimes you will, if you got to quickly complete a meal or do whatever it is, you do that and then you come come back to your baby. First thing I would say before anything, try to get secure yourself. Ooh, More cool. is taught than taught. You know, if you are you find that you're insecure or you lean more toward anxious or you lean more toward avoidant or whatever the case is, there is help out here. Our the most high creator has created this like he has doctors, nurses, lawyers, teachers. He has people out here to be able to help you to get more secure. That is one of the best gifts, one of them, not the, but one of the best gifts that you can give to your child is to be secure yourself. When you're secure, another thing you want to do, or even if you aren't secure, respond to your child's emotional needs. Children tend to have a lot of behaviors and emotions and they get erratic and they have tantrums and they have those things understand that the behaviors that you see, not that they're always good and not that they don't need discipline, but what they also need is curiosity. 
having their parent under trying to understand what's behind that behavior and responding to that, responding to that. So your your child is having a tantrum. You let them have their tantrum. Then you come to them and say, baby, what was going on? I see that you were having a difficult time there. Mommy's here for you. You can't kick and scream and do things. You can't, you can't hit mommy. You can't do those things. But what's going on? Let's try to talk about them. Help them to put words to their emotions. So really responding to that child's emotional needs, learning that emotions are just signals, right? They don't mean that a child is bad or good or that you're bad or you're good. Again, being curious rather than being critical, being curious about emotions, I would say. And then the last thing I would say, if you're a parent, is just, and it's part of what I was just saying, is connecting heart to heart. A lot of times we want to jump to discipline because we're fearful that if we don't quickly do something right now, and I can speak about this because this is an everyday thing with me and my husband, it's like there's this fear that if we don't discipline our son right now, that he's going to end up being that way or being worse that way. You know, we're trying to think 10 years down the line and he's going to be out of control and he's not going to have respect. And those things are there, but you, before you just jump to discipline, connecting heart to heart with your child first while you are disciplining them. I'm not saying don't discipline them. It's not one or the other. It's and, one and the other. So responding to them, trying to connect heart to heart while you are also disciplining will help them to be attuned to their own needs, emotional needs, and that way they could be responsive to others' emotional needs as well. Rana, thank you so much for coming onto the show and having this conversation. I love this topic of insecure attachment styles and mm-hmm. how insecure, secure, we didn't really talk about secure attachment, but right, right. I just appreciate that you came on and hopefully it gave the audience more clarity about what it is and maybe even it helped them recognize, okay, I need to do some work in this area so that I can become more secure. Do you have any upcoming projects that you'd like to share? Are you accepting new clients at this time? Yes, yes. So I actually have a group that I do about once a month. Um, the next group will be meeting July 6th. It's for four weeks and it's called Attached to Your Match. So it's learning about your attachment styles, as I was saying previously, learning about your attachment styles. Because again, it's always about awareness before you jump into relationships, before you try to change yourself, change somebody else or whatever the case is. It's always about awareness. So in the group, it's for women. It's attaching to your match. You're learning about your attachment styles. And then you're learning how to use that information to make informed decisions in who you choose or how you choose to be in relationships. So it helps to bring a break a lot of those negative cycles when we, you know, as women, sometimes we find ourselves in the same kind of relationships over and over and over again, where we're just pursuing these people or, you know, maybe we're having to shut down. It helps to break that cycle because there is awareness. And then I provide them with step-by-step strategies on how to break these patterns, move from insecure to secure, all while you have the support of others. I provide a dating roadmap in there, a workbook, a lot of good stuff to be able to help people make the changes that they want so they can have that lasting, healthy relationship that we were created and designed to have. And is this going to be virtual? Yes. So it's all virtual, four weeks. 
um, July 6th, four weeks from then, and then it will happen again in August. So I have that for um, a group, if people like group therapy or like the group environment where they can kind of have that support of others. And then I also have availability for um, individual therapy if people are looking for more of that one-on-one support and they really want that space and that time to unpack and do the healing work that they need to do. Um, so there, I do have availability for that as well if they're looking for something that's more customized for them rather than being in a group. And how can people contact you? Yes. So they can contact me through my website, which is www.theartofconnectiontherapy.com. Um, my email is info at theartofconnectiontherapy.com. And they can also contact me by phone, 301-591-7444. And I'd be happy to speak with them. We can do a free 15-minute phone or video consultation to see how I can help them and meet their needs and serve them. That's what I'm here for. Thank you for coming on to the show. Audience, you have been given a wealth of information, a wealth of resources. I My hope is that it will help you move forward in your healing journey. If you'd like to contact Rena, you would have her information. You'll also find it within the show notes, as well as information about the groups. Is there a cost to the groups? Yes. The groups, it's $250 for four weeks. So it's it would be about half. So individual sessions are $125 per session. So being in the group would be half of that for four weeks. So it's $250 for four weeks to be in the group. Okay. So you could go ahead and you can join. I think those prices are very, very reasonable. Audience, for what you're going to be getting with someone who is an expert in her field and can help and support you throughout your healing journey. I wish you well, audience, as you move forward. May you have greater joy and greater peace as you flow within your day. Thank you for joining us at Elisha's Space. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll subscribe so we can keep the conversation going. Now go move forward in your healing journey.